Welcome back to the program, folks. Uh, today on the show, I'm presenting my recent conversation with Ohio-based singer-songwriter Adam Remnant. Adam's one of my favorite songwriters working today, and I've been a fan of his for nearly 10 years. He began his music career as the primary songwriter, singer, and frontman for Athens, Ohio band Southeast Engine in the early aughts, and would go on to release six full-length albums and an EP with that acclaimed folk rock outfit. When the band dissolved after their beautiful 2011 effort, Canary, Adam continued on as a solo act, releasing the EP When I Was a Boy in 2016 and full-length record Sourwood in 2018. As you'll hear in our conversation, Adam has new music coming down the pike, which I, for one, am eagerly anticipating. You can find Adam and his work at adamremnant.bandcamp.com or at his personal website, adamremnant.com, and you can also follow him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and whatever streaming service you use. It's still a bit surreal to me that I can simply email some of my favorite artists or musicians asking them to chat, and that a lot of them say yes. I certainly don't take it for granted, and I'd like to thank Adam for taking some time out of his day to answer a few questions. Adam's a really smart, thoughtful guy, and you'll hear proof of that with how insightfully he answers some of my inquiries. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Before we get there, I'd like to remind you to give us a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening on, whether that's the star rating on Spotify or a written review on Apple. It helps promote the show and hopefully engage more listeners. You can also check out the Raised by Whoops store at raisedbywhoops.com by clicking on the Capitalism tab. Thanks for the support. Finally, I want to give you a taste of Adam's songwriting by playing you into the episode with his song Somewhere Else Tonight, and I'll conclude the episode with what might be my favorite song of his, Adeline of the Appalachian Mountains. Okay, that's it. Enjoy, and we'll talk to you all soon. I've been working seven days a week Wish I had a Sabbath to observe One day I'll vanish from these streets If I ever build up the nerve You see I am weary but I'm restless I got a All my childhood dreams came true My adolescent fantasies intact Maybe I should have shed them long ago Never can convince myself to stop Looking back, you see I'm weary But I'm restless I got a mind to take so if we leave right now, we could be somewhere else tonight. But honestly, these thoughts that help me don't outweigh my fear of failing 
with uh, Ohio-based singer-songwriter Adam Remnant. I'm uh, really happy you agreed to have a chat, so uh, so welcome, Adam. Thanks, Glenn. So yeah, uh, just to kick things off here, uh, so you were born and grew up in the suburbs of uh, Dayton, Ohio. Um, along with uh, your own musical accomplishments, um, your brother Jesse played with you in Southeast Engine and also plays in the, uh, the current iteration of your band. And you have another brother, Joseph, who is musically inclined as well, and also a talented artist and a cartoonist. So I was just wondering, like, did your parents um, nurture you and your brother's artistic pursuits from an early age? And uh, were they themselves artistically inclined at all? Uh, that, that That's an interesting question. Um, I think, yeah, they definitely nurtured it, but I think we definitely, like, came to them being more... It wasn't like... Um, my parents weren't like, here's a guitar. You should learn how to do this. It was definitely us like discovering music through our peers and pop culture and stuff. And uh, I think like for me and my, my brother Joseph is like him and I are very close in age. So we, we like, you know, discovered Nirvana and, you know, wanted to learn how to play those songs and stuff. And so just came to our parents and, but they were definitely like, they definitely like nurtured that interest in the sense that they got us some like cheap, you know, knockoff Stratocaster guitars and um, enrolled us in like guitar lessons at the local music shop and um, generally uh, gave us time space at home to, um make noise <laughs> okay you know right so on. i I, yeah. and I mean my dad is um uh when i was growing up he was always listening to like um 
old blues records and stuff. Like I remember him listening to things like Jimmy Rogers and uh, he, oh, he, nice. play, he plays blues harmonica. So he always listened to like Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, like um, a lot of like country blues kind of stuff. Um, so that was definitely like around, you know, but when I was little, I didn't understand that music or get, get it at all. And, <laughs> I, was, and um, I was just listening to like what was coming through on like the top 40 radio and um but you know as i got older i obviously come to appreciate that music but uh and um yeah i i mean they weren't like super artsy people or anything you know but they um definitely saw it as a positive thing for us and yeah right on yeah um and i also know that dayton uh like has some pretty famous musical sons and daughters including uh guided by voices and like the deal sisters um i also really like um erica wennerstrom from uh, the heartless bastards um i think she's from dayton as well um like when you were growing up how aware were you of dayton's music scene um like did the city embrace its musical identity or was it more of an underground thing well, you know, right when I was getting into music, I was like in middle school and all that was like guided by voices and the breeders had a hit with cannonball and all that stuff. So it was like, you know, this confluence of things happening that were all very exciting to um, me and my brother and our friends, like at that age, you know, like middle school, early high school. And the first concert I ever went to was um, Hera Arena, which was like one of the arenas in like a sports arena in Dayton and um, the breeders were the headliner and the bill for the evening was um, the Afghan wigs, which were from nearby Cincinnati and guided by voices and the new bomb Turks. Um, Oh, wow. So it was like quite this, it just feels like such a weird like moment in, in place to like be in Dayton and like, cause it was like all this like, very regional Ohio groups that were like having this moment in the spotlight and selling out an arena. And it was really exciting at the time. I mean, um, like I remember hearing guided by voices B thousand when I was in like middle school or high school, like when that came out and just being like, I did not understand that when it came out. Like I remember I liked like uh, I am a scientist or echoes Myron or something like the kind of more catchier stuff. And, but I remember that that was like one of those recordings that like we kind of would always keep coming like me and my brother would always keep coming back to it. And like every time we listened to it, it made more sense. And so it ended up being a big influence and um yeah, I have, you know, all those groups that you mentioned, I kind of have like stories about all of them, but I'll, I'll try to be brief, but the breeders specifically. So um, we loved, you know, we we were totally into like those that breeders last splash album and stuff. And me and my brother, like just looked up the name deal in the phone book and yeah. realized that they lived like two blocks from us. Oh, nice. <laughs> and we went and like just me and my brother and some friends, we just like went and knocked on their door (laughs) and um, they answered. And we like had like a, I remember I had like the cannonball single and um, they signed it and they would like have like band rehearsals over there sometimes I think. And um, uh, so we, (laughs) we went back multiple times to like try to get all their autographs. 
and I had I had all of their autographs, but the drummer Jim McPherson, and um, they did a they they performed at the Nelsonville Music Festival near where I live. Uh, right. And now I work with the I work at the organization that runs Nelsonville Music Festival, and uh, they uh, they were performing at the festival, and I like brought the single, and I found Jim McPherson. I was like, "Hey, Jim, will you sign this and make it complete?" <laughs> got your last one <laughs> yeah, so um nice. yeah and um Eric, it's erica from heartless bastards like yeah. i think i played like a show like in dayton with her like right when she like started going under the name heartless bastards okay um and it was just like oh cool this is a cool person making music and this is a cool person to be on a bill with and then they right. go on and do all this amazing stuff. So, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Cool. I one band that you, I think I heard you mention them, but I, I've never, I'm not familiar with them. The Brainiacs are they from Dayton too? Oh yeah, Brainiac or, or uh, Brainiac. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, they're a little before me. They were uh, well. It's actually around that same time, but um, so it would again. They were kind of happening when I was like in middle school too, and um, but yeah, they were my uh the southeast engine drummer who also went to the same like high school as me and stuff leo deluca he right. um he actually just had an article in the new york times that w was published this last week he like works as a he does a lot of like freelance journalism stuff a lot of music writing um today and he just has a an article published in the new york times this past week uh, all about brainiac um, oh wow I'll have to check that out. Yeah, just, um, but yeah, uh, Leo was really into Brainiac and I kind of missed the whole Brainiac wave. Um, but they, the lead singer like tragically died in a car accident um, right as they were like probably about to break into bigger things, right? Like they were <clears throat> just on the precipice of a bigger audience, it seemed like. And and then the singer died in this car accident, which was horrible. But oh god! Um, but yeah, the um, so they're definitely like part of the Dayton fabric for sure. So like a lot of like musician friends in Dayton, like Brainiac, still is like a big influence in people making music in Dayton. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty fertile area, like between Cincinnati and and Dayton, and just the whole state in general. It's a, a lot yeah. of ton of music came out of there. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, so so you moved uh, to Athens for university, um, uh, which is, I guess, where you formed Southeast Engine with Leo. Um, was there anything that drew you to Athens besides schooling, or was it like strictly an educational choice? No, it was definitely. Um, I remember I was like graduating high school, and I was like, oh, "What am I going to do in college?" And I thought maybe I would try to major in guitar. <laughs> 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 and i remember like the last two years of high school i took piano lessons because i didn't know how to read uh music okay. so i like i took a couple years of piano lessons thinking maybe i'll be able to like pass an aud a college audition so i could like study guitar and then right. but then like as it started to become real i was like oh wait um i'm gonna spend the next four years like studying jazz guitar or something like that and i just right. wasn't really like passionate about jazz guitar you know so yeah, yeah it was um uh so i think at like kind of the last minute when i kind of was trying to make a decision about college i 
kind of looked at Athens and OU because um, it looked like a like a a cool place. <laughs> I don't know. Right. It's like Athens is very different than the rest of the state. It's kind of like this little, you know, uh, hippie enclave or um, I don't know. It's just got like that kind of like, uh, you know, it's a it's a blue city and like a otherwise red state. You know, I mean, there's there's, right. there's liberal pockets in, it, you know, mostly in like more urban areas in the state of Ohio. But um, right. Right. So but Athens just seemed to be this kind of unique place where like things just seemed a little different there. I don't know. I don't I don't know how to explain it. But yeah, no, um, I know. I totally know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, and I knew there was like places to play there. I knew there was like clubs and stuff where you could like get shows and um it just seemed like a place that I could maybe like play music and start a band. And so I don't know. Those were some of the thoughts rolling through my head. I, I don't know. Like it wasn't like some grand plan or anything. I just thought that looks fun. <laughs> right. Right. And so I decided to go there. I just thought it might fit me more. And I was kind of like in high school sort of struggled to find my people, you know, uh, that were into the same things I was. And so, um, in that respect, going to Athens was a great choice because I I did find lot you know, um, and and it it becomes interesting for a lot of other reasons too, just like it being sort of part of this like intersection of the Midwest and Appalachia, um, yeah, which is kind of a theme that because I've lived here for so long, that's kind of become a theme in everything I do. Right, right, yeah. Um, did Athens have much of a music scene when you got there? Um, yeah, I, I would say that <clears throat> there's a club in town called the union and it is sort of a, probably like the focal point of the music scene in Athens. Um, there's definitely like always been like a lot of like garage rock and stuff coming out of there. Um, right. And yeah, I mean, it's a college town too, so it's constantly changing, you know, bands get started and then they graduate and move. So um, its identity in terms of like music scene is kind of always morphing a little bit. Right, right. Um, there's elements that, you know, continue to show up, though. Like, I think the garage rock thing continues to show up. I think like sort of Appalachian instrumentation, uh, you know, is always present in some form or another. Um, yeah, there's more going on than just that, but uh, there's always a little bit of like jam band scene here too, you know, um, right. that was definitely like, like present when I got here and um, still exists. Um, okay. okay. Yeah. Right on. So I'll skip ahead a little. Uh, just wanted to ask you. Uh, so, so yeah, Southeast engine was formed obviously at uh, at at Ohio University uh with your uh, with the drummer Leo um and i just wanted to skip ahead a few years to to your 2011 album uh canary um which you wrote from the perspective of someone living in uh, depression era appalachia um like are you generally interested in history or is the great depression like an isolated area of interest for you. 
I'm not a history buff by any means. Um, no. I, <laughs> I just, um, I don't know. I think it was just sort of the, uh, I just tapped into something. I just saw it as like a sort of literary kind of um, vehicle to tell, right. to kind of explore some themes. Um, I probably wrote like one or two songs. I can't remember which songs came first, uh, kind of written in that perspective. And then I just sort of took that and ran with it and developed it into this larger concept. Um, so, so I was definitely kind of curious about local history and, um, it's just, it, it's a, you know, that, that, that time period in like the history of Appalachia, there's just a lot there to explore, um, you know, things that are still relevant today, you know, just outside money coming into a region, exploiting its land and people, uh, and then leaving, leaving and people are kind of left to pick up the pieces and right. sort of exploring like the human, the human spirit in that aftermath, you know, like how do you deal with, you know, picking up the pieces and like, um, so I think that is, um, that was kind of probably my, my motivation more than like exploring historical elements. In fact, I've had, there were some reviews like noting things that I got wrong and I know okay. I wasn't like researching to the point where, um, I was trying to like build some cohesive historical narrative or something, you know, it was just, it was much more sort of, uh, literary device, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Like I just, I really connected with that, uh, album probably just because like my dad was really interested in that era too. Like we don't do history very well in Canada. Like, I mean, you drive around in the States and I mean, there's, you know, monuments and, and, and signs all over the interstates, you know, telling you what happened here. And, and Canada is not really like that. So, um, my dad kind of, um, uh, his interest in history kind of went stateside because it's so prominent, but like he, he really liked that era. Like, uh, you know, he was a big fan of the Carter family and he read, um, Steinbeck, uh, you know, and, and that whole sort of riding the rails culture. Um, and he had like multiple oral histories of, of, uh, the depression, the great depression and that I borrowed and read from him too. So, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that, I think I think that's why I connected to that album, and then Adeline of the Appalachian Mountains. That's uh, as far as I'm concerned. You could have stopped right there, and uh, <laughs> you'd have a place in uh, in American music history. So <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, th that song. Um, <clears throat> do you know the YouTube channel uh, Otis Gibbs? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He talked about that song on his podcast or on his little, on one of his um, videos. I and, saw that. Yeah. And um, I, I wasn't aware of him and that YouTube channel. And somebody like sent me a message being like, talking about you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. That's really, I mean, yeah, it's really uh, sweet that, you know, it, it just feels like a feather in your cap anytime where it's like some work you produce, like. Um, we live in a culture where stuff just gets, you know, oh, that's from 
10 years ago, like that's not relevant today. Right. So if anybody's talking about something I did 10 years ago, I'm like pretty stoked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, um, I guess maybe where you're sitting right now, your home recording, uh, set up. Um, so yeah, after Southeast engine, you began, you started to build like a little home recording studio and began working on solo material. And I was just wondering, like, are you, are you that practical in like all facets of life? Like, do you like fix your own vehicles or like do home repairs or something? Cause that, that seems like a pretty, um, ambitious project, you know, to, to, to build a studio. I, w- I would say I should I should clarify. I didn't build a studio. I just turned a room into my in my home into a place where I record. <laughs> okay. Okay. I see. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a studio in quotes there. Um, but I would say, um, well, I guess I I'm not. I don't work on my own cars. Um, but I, <laughs> I I am sort of like when I was doing Southeast Engine, like um, we weren't, you know bringing in much money doing that so we were touring a lot but it was uh and i needed work when i wasn't touring uh to pay bills and so i worked for my buddy's construction company and i learned i basically i didn't know the first thing about construction because my i was i just wanted a job where somebody would let me leave and go on tour whenever i needed to and my buddy was like um yeah i'll let you do that (laughs) <laughs> for uh i he just had the flexibility with the way he ran his business for to have employees that would come and go um so i didn't i remember the first day uh i literally didn't know how to swing a hammer correctly you know i was just kind of like <laughs> ding 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 you know <laughs> and so i think i did that for like five years or something when southeast engine was really touring a lot and uh um learned all these skills. So that gave me some, like, I do have some like construction skills and that gives me some confidence too, that I can learn how to teach myself how to do things. Um, so, uh, yeah. And I, and during Southeast engine, I didn't do any of my, we would just record like demos and stuff on, um, we'd maybe use a four track or like a, we had a little digital four track we would use to record stuff, but, um, uh but then i thought i'll 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 save on studio costs by teaching myself how to do this and uh uh, i don't think i've saved any money (laughs) because once you get into it you just always want to you know buy another thing that you think you need you know um right yeah and that gets expensive so you know the thousands of dollars you might have spent on studio time you're now spending on equipment um so um so anyways uh but yeah i got into it and it it is nice to be able to record like uh not on the clock you know just kind of uh taking your time developing so like sometimes it's fun to approach the recording process in a manner where you're not completely rehearsed right Right. so when you're paying for studio time you you're better off to be very rehearsed going into the studio so that you are really efficient with your time and making the most of it right unless you just have money to burn um yeah so it's nice to be 
in a recording mode where you have a lot more leeway to experiment, try things, um, and you're not looking at the clock. Right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I just, I, I read that and I just thought I was pretty impressed by that because, yeah, I don't really have any technical skills. And I think I just, um, I I was like thinking about, like I think I heard you say somewhere about you doing like drum tracks and like uh, you were interviewed somewhere and you said like, you know, it took you multiple times to get a drum track down. And I just, you know, and, and I just appreciated that sort of that patience and that, uh, that dedication. Cause I don't know if I'd have that kind of, I don't know if I have that in me to, you know, to really put together a whole album by myself like that. So, yeah. And honestly, I don't, I don't recommend it. <laughs> Part of that was I'm not a drummer. So I was trying to play the drums and I can play drums, but I'm not a great drummer. So right. it would take me that much longer to produce a serviceable performance that I could use right. in my recording. Um, and, and actually the way I'm making the, uh, the record I'm, currently working on that's almost done um i've been working with uh my current band and having them cover a lot of those bases that i was trying to do part of the reason i did that was you know southeast engine uh broke up or uh, basically it was just uh life forces were pulling us all in different directions and we just wasn't sustainable to keep going um, right. and then, uh, I had had a kid and my wife and I were like raising kids and, and I just didn't have a, I didn't have a band. So I, um, wanted, I was still writing and I still wanted to make records. So I, um, just, and, and I just didn't have a lot of time to even like start a band and have a band. So, cause you know, when, kids are babies and toddlers. It's just a lot. So, uh, yeah. the, the most like reasonable way for me to make music at that time was having a music room in the, in the basement that I could, you know, find an hour here or there to work on stuff, you know? And, and, and so it ended up taking a really long time to produce the solo material that I put out for that reason too. I think now I'm in a much better place where, I've got some musicians that I work with and, and we can um, COVID slowed me down just because during COVID I thought, okay, you know, maybe I'll, I, I tried to work on recording during COVID, like the same way I had previously all by myself. And I just right. wasn't inspired. I wasn't inspired to do that again. Um, and so not much recording got done for those two years. Um, right. But then as soon as things started to let up and I could reconvene with, uh, musicians, I, um, immediately we just started recording. And so now it's, I think we started about a year and a half ago and we're basically done with a full length album, at least the recording part, there's still mixing to do, but, um, there's maybe awesome. like yeah. two, there's maybe like two or three more things we need to add to the recording uh but very it were 
it's like finishing touches right now. So. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, uh, at the end. Um, but, uh, but before we get there, I just wanted to ask, like, what, like you mentioned it earlier, but what is your involvement with, uh, the Nelsonville music festival? Like I, I've, uh, I've wanted to go down there for years now. Cause I, I just, the, the lineups are just incredible. Like, especially last year's lineup, like uh, I was, I was a couple days ago, I was watching the Michael Hurley set, um, on YouTube and, and I was really enjoyed that. Um, but so I was just wondering, like, do you help organize it? And then I also read somewhere that you teach, uh, like an after school program, um, that you, that performed at the festival. Like, do you, do you still teach that, uh, that after school? Yeah. So that's kind of how I'm involved. I, um, probably about eight years ago, they asked me if I could teach this after school music program that they were starting. Um, and I've been doing that ever since it just runs two afternoons a week, actually three afternoons a week. We also have like an audio program there. There's a recording. So the, uh, the organization that runs Nelsonville music festival is called Stewart's opera house, which is also okay. a, historic opera house theater in Nelsonville, Ohio. Um, and they have a great, um, uh, history of shows hosted there. Um, a lot of like the same type of artists that perform at Nelsonville music festival, um, perform at the opera house throughout the year. So, right, right. um, but it's also a nonprofit and we have, they, uh, we have this arts education component. And so I got, I just started working there full time, like back this summer. Um, and, and I work in the arts education department. So, um, I still run that music program and, and then also help with a lot of administration stuff with other, um, arts education programming that we do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That must, uh, that must bring you a lot of meaning. So do you guys still, um, and then you got you still bring a band on on stage at the Nelsonville Festival every year, or yes, our yeah. students perform um, every year at the Nelsonville Music Festival, and um, this year we have six bands and middle school and high school students, and basically just giving them space, and and we have like one instructor for each band, basically, um, and just help you, you'd be surprised like how little students students could come in with zero ability to play an instrument and some students come in with lots of abilities um but we just find ways to get them to work together and it's amazing like you can teach somebody how to do something very simple on guitar or bass or drums and then you, you can get them all playing together and uh, they can make a pretty great sound and, and it's, yeah. it's inspiring to watch them. Everybody, you know, their eyes light up when they see that they can do that. Um, yeah. and then you get them on stage doing that. And then, you know, part of it is just to give them the experience of doing something creative and, and doing something creative, uh, in a collaborative manner too. So they're, you know, it's a good social outlet for, um, teenagers, I think. So, um, it's the kind of thing that I wish existed when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, I just read about that and thought it was really cool. So, um, um, 
Yeah, so I'm I'm look I'm anticipating the uh, looking forward to the lineup uh, reveal this year for the 2023 festival. So that'll be good. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Michael Hurley set that was since this was the first year that I like worked the festival in a as a employee of the organization stewards. Um, I was really busy working during the festival, so I didn't get to catch as much music, but I did get to catch that Michael Hurley set and it was truly magical being there. So, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I mean, he's getting up there now. I, I, I've never seen him, but, uh, one, maybe, maybe he'll still tour. I don't know what he's up to now, but, yeah. um, all right. Uh, yeah, I think he'll keep going. In, in fact, I'll add one more little story about that. I, I love yeah, the yeah. Michael Hurley song. Oh, my stars. You know, that song. Mm hmm. And I learned how to play that on guitar because <clears throat> I think I saw him play it at that performance. And then I remember that uh, like the next morning, like before I went back to the festival, I was just messing around and like watching some videos on YouTube, trying to figure out how to play that song. And then um, late that evening, I was at some like campsite and Michael Hurley was there. And I said, hey, Michael, will you tell me if I'm playing this right? <laughs> <laughs> and i played it for him and he he was he 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 gave me the thumbs up that i i was doing it good so <laughs> nice that's awesome <laughs> yeah i remember a few years back too i was in uh we were traveling we were on vacation and i was at mississippi records in uh portland i think he lives in like astoria which is just north of portland but um and he wandered into the to the record store and was talking to like the proprietor and stuff but i you know, I don't know. I didn't want to like bug him, but, uh, but yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, he's a cool, cool, cool musician for sure. Absolutely. Um, all right, man. Uh, so, uh, yeah, switching gears a little bit. Um, I was just, I just had a question about like, um, you know, creativity and songwriting as you get a bit older and I'm, I'm not calling you old, by the way. I think, <laughs> I think we're around the same age. I'm, I'm 41, but, yeah, uh, I'm 42. Uh, okay. There you go. Um, so do you feel that like your passion for music and, and songwriting is still pretty strong as you, as you get older? Like, like, do you still feel as creative as ever? Does music still, uh, mean as much to you as it once did maybe in your twenties and thirties? Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. I think anyone who tries to do more with music beyond it being just, or probably any artistic venture, once you, once you kind of try to do it in any fashion, that's more than a hobby. I feel like you, in, you inevitably sort of complicate your relationship to the thing. Um, right. Because it, 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 it tends to take on like this bigger meaning to you personally, emotionally. Um, and so music has definitely just been this really ever present, consistent force in my life um, that I'm always trying to, um, it, it's this thing that I'm always striving after. And um in, in a multitude of ways, you know, part of it is you want to make great work, you know, you want to yeah. make something that, um, 
you know, that you feel like really stands up and uh, you want to write something that you've, you know, that you feel like is in your head that you, that you, uh, I'm getting really ephemeral or <laughs> really elusive <laughs> here, but um, you have big ideas in your head, right? And you want to execute those ideas uh, in a way that matches the idea in your head. I don't know. You, this, this is typical artist stuff, but, um, and then, but it's, but then you also have this idea of like, you want people to hear it. So you're always struggling to like get an audience and, um, that that's just an inevitable part of it. Yeah. You're always grappling with, you know, trying to reach people and that, that is just always, um, part of the challenge of this thing. Right. And, yeah. Um, and it's a lot of work, <laughs> you know, it's, it's something that, uh, and then there's like the whole finding the time and the money to do it. And it's sort of, it, it's inevitably, um, uh, at least for me, it's always been a struggle in a lot of ways. So, yeah. uh, it's this thing I absolutely love. And it's this thing that like constantly, um, also sort of plagues me. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, that's it's just always interested me, you know, because like, um, I don't know, like you hear people say sometimes like, oh, you know, once you hit 30, your interest in music wanes a little bit or your creativity wanes. But, you know, like I still see people like, I don't know, like some of my favorite songwriters like Patterson Hood or uh, Jeff Tweedy or um, guys like that that are still giving it, you know, um, into their 50s and and. Um, yeah, it, it just, it's kind of something that's always fascinated me, like that drive that to keep, to keep creating, um, as you get older. Yeah. yeah. And I think for those guys that you mentioned, it's their, <clears throat> it's their livelihood too. So I think that's something that people don't talk about a lot, like that, um, you know, th those, those artists that have landed in a spot where, um, that's literally how they're paying their bills and probably a lot of other people's bills, right? Like they've got people that they're also supporting by being good artists, right? Um, exactly, it's not, it's not yeah. to say that like their artistry is not, um, it, it's like absolutely valid. Like I'm fans of like Jeff Tweedy is one of my all time favorites, like, Part yeah, of my job yeah. is like being Adam Remnant is like trying to not be too much like Jeff Tweedy and be more like myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, I, and, and, you know, since music is not something I, I do to make a living, um, it, it's sort of, uh, you do it despite a lot of things. Right. So the fact the I think a lot of the reasons why people, don't keep up with music beyond the age of 30, like when, like through the decade of their thirties is because, um, conditions don't promote it. You know, their, their material right. conditions actually make it very difficult to keep doing it. Um, yeah. and I think that's the way a lot of just adulthood is in general. Like when people are young and in college, they're going to shows and like, they're getting into bands <laughs> Right, right. And then yeah, as no. you get older, it's like people's priorities change because they have to, right? Like yeah. people's priorities change because, um, yeah, they just, they have to 
you know, meet, fulfill the things that life demands of them, whether that's with work and family and, um, you know, there, it's hard to have the extra bandwidth to, um, also engage in like a big artistic pursuit. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, like, I don't have kids. Um, so I mean, um, you know, maybe your sense of urgency, like when you have a little bit of spare time to write songs is, is, uh, greater than mine. But like, I was just wondering, uh, like I, I try to write songs. I mean, I, I don't, uh, I, I mean, just as a hobby, but, um, I was just wondering, like, do you ever have to, like, I know for me sometimes, like when I force myself to sit down to write, like I know something good will come of it, but, um, but sometimes like the desire to do the work is not always there. Like, uh, um, I was just wondering how, how you experienced that. Like, like, you know, that when you sit down, you can, you can come up with something, but at the same time, uh, it can be difficult to get your ass in the seat and, uh, and do something. Do you ever experience anything like that or, or do you just, um, yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, I think the, um, trying to think about how to tackle that. Uh, yeah, I think I learned a lot during COVID because I felt like I did have more, uh, more time during COVID just because of the nature of things. And, um, that sort of allowed a little bit more regular, regularly touching base with that sort of creative time. Um, and I like the idea. I always strive to be habitual in being creative and productive in that regard. Um, I'm not, I, I wish I could say I was disciplined at it and consistent, but I'm not, I just, um, I, I try not to just be a sort of inspiration strikes. I don't think that if you just wait around for that, I think that's a bad, um, mode of being. So, uh, but I don't have scheduled times. Like if I wake up early, um, I would, I wish I would, be productive during that time. But a lot of times if I wake up early, I was like, I'm just going to lay here and like, look at my phone for another 30 minutes before I need to get up or whatever. But yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I tried to touch base with, um, writing fairly regular, fairly regular, regularly. Um, yeah. So I'm often just like picking up a guitar, messing around. Um, I, I'm trying to always record at least a little bit and, and like listen to what I'm working on. So I'm always like recording, like, oh, I recorded this thing and then I'm listening and thinking about it and thinking about like what, I, what else I could do or how do I change that? So sort of that, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know, this example, this, it's sort of like that Ernest Hemingway example uh, I know Ernest Hemingway is like a problematic guy or something, you know, I, I, don't, know, I don't know, but well, this is like a writing tip that he had that I think is kind of, kind of sound, which was he would write every day for like so much. And that even if he was like on a roll, he would stop. I don't know if this is true or not, but it's just a story I heard once. And I think it kind of makes sense. Or right. it's like, even if he was on a roll, 
he would stop. And, and the reason he would stop is like, so that when he'd come back the next day, he'd have something to work on, you know, like he, he could pick up where he left off and it would kind of keep that activity in motion. Yeah. Yeah. that Yeah. So I feel like that's kind of the key is I'm not good at like having that set time to do it every day um, or like a routine, but I'm, I'm trying to always have it in motion. So I'm always trying to have stuff that I am working on. So there's always like a song that's not finished or an idea that I've started that I need to uh, develop more or a recording that needs another guitar track added to it or a harmony vocal or so there's just always a project underway that I'm trying to get to its final form, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as long, yeah, as, no. long as I keep in touch with all of it, then it's active in my brain and um and I'm and I'm and I am working in a and in that sense it does create consistency where I'm chipping away a little bit all the time. Um, yeah. So I wish I, although I kind of wish I could be more like wake up an hour early every day and spend time. Like, you know, like they talk about like artist pages and stuff like that. And I know it sounds great. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I've tried, yeah. I've tried, but, uh, I, 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 I haven't given up total hope for myself. I still want to do that. I feel like I could have a big breakthrough. I feel like I'm ready for a big breakthrough in my lyric writing. If I could like, get more disciplined and do that. And I'm, I, I still have it in my mind to do that. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That no, that I like what you said there though, about like kind of leaving your work off at a, maybe at like a point where you're pretty excited about it, you know, put like put the notebook down or, or, or stop the recording at a point where you're pretty psyched. And then, you know, you're, you're, you can pick up on it the next day. So I, I, I like that. Um, uh, so yeah, um, I did want to briefly touch on your, uh, some of the photography you have up on your website too. Like, um, do you still mess around with, with any of that? Um, and before you answer that, I just wanted to say, I really like, uh, um, the CVS, I, I know it's kind of like a, like the CVS summer night photo. I, I don't know. It evoked a lot for me. And, um, and then the Rolling Hills Baptist Church photo where it says uh let not your heart be troubled always a uh, a pretty great sentiment to remind yourself of um but yeah like my my uh, wife always says like every time i take a picture there's always like a sign or a uh like a storefront or a piece of information in the picture like i think that's just how my brain works like and i and i get that a lot from your photography too like there's always a piece of information in each photograph that kind of adds a, another layer to the picture yeah, the whole photography thing kind of came as a surprise to me. I um really what it was is my daughter wanted a um uh an instant camera, like a Fuji Instax camera. Okay. And I, I didn't really know that much about those. So I was just like getting online looking for like which camera should I buy my daughter? <laughs> right. And that just sort of took me down a a uh a rabbit hole. I started watching like some videos on YouTube, like people reviewing cameras and there's a whole world on YouTube dedicated to film photography. And I just started watching some of these videos and, um, 
and then I get like beyond like the camera review videos and more videos about like taking pictures about uh there, there's be a lot of videos of just a photographer walking around taking photos of sort of mundane uh, sub subjects just things in their neighborhood and things like that and I yeah. sort of just would watch this and I and some of the images I just found really um really appealing and um and and they just connect in some way right like you just i think yeah. it's because you're often like photographing things that are part of our everyday environment and so when right. you see them in a photograph is like a thing like hey pay attention to this you know it's sort of this yeah. thing that you sort of take for granted like a cvs or something um yeah and so it's something that's just kind of part of our every everyday fabric of our lives and so they just are, and they, 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 they are also just sort of like corporate and banal or, you know, they don't, and, but they are, it's the world that we live in. So when you take a photo of it and present it as a thing that's worth paying attention to, um, it just kind of makes you stop and think about, you know, how our environment plays a role in our lives, in our psyches and, right. um, uh, and so I was just watching these videos and I just sort of, um, you know, started to bank enough hours <laughs> watching these videos. I thought I should just try to do this. And I, yeah. I, I think I would experimented with photography a little bit in the past. Like my mother-in-law had given me an old 35 millimeter camera, an old Nikon FM camera. And so I just right. dug that out. And I had shot a couple of roles, but I didn't know how to like get proper exposure and like had very mixed results. But now I'd watched all these YouTube videos that explained how to get proper exposure. <laughs> and so, um, <clears throat> so I just started shooting and, um, and just sort of did it publicly. Like I just sort of on my Instagram, in fact, I had a little bit of an identity crisis because my Instagram became all film photography and, and especially during COVID <laughs> I wasn't working on right. music. Um, so, so it was like this great thing to go do by my, by myself where you didn't have to worry about right. COVID stuff where like, I'm just out driving and getting out of the car and walking around taking pictures. And um, so it became, became a great creative outlet for me during that time. Um, yeah. And I, I am still very, I basically just fell in love with photography and this specific mode of photography. Um, you know, there's definitely like a whole world of photography in that, of this nature. And, um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's a very, um, it's something that I am still trying to do uh, as I've started doing music more again, post COVID it's definitely receded to an extent, but um, yeah. again, like I was saying before about like keeping in contact with the creative element, photography is now part of that in my mind. So yeah, it's definitely like part of my creative thinking. So even when I'm thinking about music, I'm thinking about, images that could accompany that music um so i think in the future i'll probably you know like i have ideas like every single every song would have like an accompanying image that goes with photograph that goes with it 
so I'm trying to think, see ways I can connect it to music. Um, and I'd love to eventually develop a proper photography book. Um, but honestly, I don't know that I'm there yet. I, I feel like I still need to take more photos and develop the work more before it's ready to take on a book. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, for what it's worth, um, I think you got a pretty good eye. Um, I've, I connected with a bunch of those, those photos and like, yeah, just, I don't know, just something like, again, back to the CVS summer night, like when, you know, in the dead of winter here in Canada, you know, you see a picture like that and you think about like walking to the drugstore at, nine or at you know 8 30 at night and there's dogs barking and kids screaming and yeah. um i don't know it just evokes something so yeah yeah when i took <laughs> that one it was i was just driving by and it was like right at that sort of magic hour and yeah. uh yeah. and there was just no cars in the parking lot and right. and i just remember thinking like there's the cvs completely it looked like uh it, it all of a sudden it was like the photo was Sometimes I'll just like see something like that. I have to pull over right now and go photograph that. And that was one of those instances where I was like literally like going to the grocery store or something probably. And I just saw that. Yeah. It's like, nope, got to pull over, take that photo. And just because there was no cars, it was like ready to be photographed. You know? <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. Cool. Um, uh, yeah. I also wanted to ask you about, uh, I heard you, like I've heard you talk about some of your musical influences, like, you know, uh judy sill who i'm a pretty big fan of still got to watch that documentary on her i haven't seen that i didn't yet, but, i didn't um, know there was a documentary yeah there's a really uh there was just a really great documentary released on her like well i don't know if it's really great because i haven't seen it but i've heard good things um and i want to see that uh, i don't think it's like streaming like i think you have to like pay for it or whatever but um i don't think it's on any one of our services but uh but yeah, I got to see that. I do too. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah, but you've you've mentioned Judy Sill and Warren Zevon, Iris Dement, who I absolutely love. You know, Smokey Robinson, Percy Sledge, Hurley, who we talked about. Um, but I was also wondering, like, do you have any um, non-musical heroes? Like any any uh, I don't know writers or, or any anybody you can think of that that you really admire that it that isn't in music. Um. I'm a big David Lynch fan. Oh, nice. Okay, um, yeah. I just love the way his brain works. I mean, he's somebody who... It's very uh, upfront that he's a very different sort of creative force than... Um, his sort of, like, creativity really shows itself, right? Where a lot of art artists, you know sometimes I think things can be kind of more traditional and still be very creative. Right. Um, for example, another like, uh, filmmaker that I love is Kelly Reichart. I don't know if you know who Kelly Reichart oh, yeah, is. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I absolutely love, um, yeah. I love her movies and they're very subtle. Like they're very like understated. Um, and I still think very creative where David Lynch is like creativity is like burst. Like it's like very like on display, if that makes sense. Right. Um, yeah. But um, so I, I guess maybe some filmmakers, I, you know, Kelly Reichardt, David Lynch are definitely two of my favorites uh, where I'll watch anything they make. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or at least, I, I don't know. I don't keep up with all of David Lynch's like YouTube, like weather channel stuff that he does now. Right. But, um, um, but yeah, d definitely just like people that are, 
um, any sort of artist with like a, like deep creative vision and you can just kind of see uh, themes at work throughout their uh, filmography or discography or whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I just love like uh, anything that just sort of anyone that's just sort of demonstrates like deep artistry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, David Lynch is a, bit of a blind spot for me uh embarrassingly enough but i got to uh but kelly reichardt is uh i i think i've watched everything she's done um i really like like she just leaves a lot of space in her film like where you know you can just think about stuff as you're watching it like meek i remember like meek's cutoff that they're just going across the uh traveling across the country or that one that she did with will oldham uh old joy uh old old joy i I love that film and uh and the one where uh, first cow, I think it's called yeah. the new one, where or the William Tyler did the uh, the soundtrack for oh, that. Oh, that's right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd really dig her work too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you? Uh, I was going to ask too. Are you much of like a collector of anything? Like, do you, like do you um like do you have a big book or record collection or anything like that or? Mm, I do have both, but I wouldn't say I'm a collector. I just sort of, um, I do have a lot of books in the house. I do have a lot of records in the house, but, um, I know people that have a lot more than I do. Um, yeah. And, um, so I, I, you know, part like with, with books, I'm definitely like, if I read a book, I like to buy it. (laughs) You know, my wife's always just like, why don't you just go get that at the library? I'm like, "Eh, I just like to have it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like I read it and I put it on the shelf. Like, I read these. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I don't know why yeah. it's so silly, but um that's for whatever um reason that's how that I, I'm I, I I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's no sort of worries. Like an embarrassing um, thing, like yeah, I like to like just like look like look at these books I've read or something. You know, but <laughs> I don't know what I just yeah. I like to have like a physical object, right? So um but I'm trying to read more fiction and I I feel like I struggle with reading fiction because and I like stu- I was like went to college my undergraduates to be like an English teacher for like right. middle school or high school students. And so um but I still just um I have a hard time like like music and movies will will just have like really deep impact on me. And I struggled to have that same experience with reading fiction. Um, it, it happens in like moments in books, but um, uh, so I'm trying, but I'm, I'm like just trying to dig in and like get more into it. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but, no, I, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Yeah. Like yeah. I, 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 uh, I read a lot of nonfiction, probably way more nonfiction, but like I, there is this part of me that like, you know, wants to like, you know, read the classics and stuff like that. But, uh, but you're right. There's only so much time in the day. And I I do listen to like, like a lot of music, listen to a lot of podcasts, um, read a lot of nonfiction. I mean, you know, there's, God, there's, uh, there's so much out there to explore, but yeah, it's, it's like, it does kind of, um uh what's the word like it i get a little anxiety about like 
you know, dying and not like, you know, consuming the art that I want to consume. But I mean, I better just get rid of that idea because there's going to be a lot that I don't. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just finding stuff that I'm just always on the hunt for like finding stuff that I love, you know, I'm always wanting to find something that just, you know, uh, makes my, the hairs on my head stand up, you know? Uh, yeah. And, and I find that it it's, there's a lot of stuff that I appreciate and I enjoy, but it's a very small amount that really um, affects me deeply. Right. So yeah, uh, I'm yeah. just always consuming to like find that thing <laughs> that does that. Um, right. And uh, yeah, it's just a rare thing to when, when a piece of work really lands deep, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a great feeling. Yeah. 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 And when it happens, yeah. it's the one of the best feelings. And uh even with music, it's a it's it's a much shorter list of like music that I love at that level versus the vast amount of music that I enjoy and appreciate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like like when you hear a singer songwriter for the first time or something and it's like, all right, now I gotta go back and check out the entire uh the entire thing like I think that's kind of how it worked with your work in a way like I because I wasn't really familiar with um like I was I knew who Southeast Engine were um but like I don't think it, it wasn't until like 2014 that I saw like a YouTube video the Gladden House sessions or whatever um that you did at Nelsonville and uh you did like uh, there was a guy named Josh interviewing yeah. you yeah, there's a few questions and then you played a few songs and, you know, I heard, uh, I heard you like, I think that was the first time I ever heard you, but it was just like, you know, you kind of occupied that same territory that a lot of my favorite singer songwriters do, which is like, you know, this sort of this sadness, but like hopefulness, you know, you kind of like, you have this, like these two ideas working at once and, um, you know, it's a layered approach to songwriting instead of like a one dimensional thing. And, uh, so, and then as soon as I heard your voice, it kind of like, it was a bit of a, I don't know, for lack of a better term, it kind of, it was a nostalgic like voice in a way. And, and yeah, it just, and then I was like, all right, I got to go back and listen to Southeast engine now. And, and, and then, and then I followed you since then. So then, you know, when I was a boy came out in Sourwood, which is a great album too. So, very cool. That's great. I, it's funny. You just, you know, uh, you, you record something like that and you don't know, uh, you put stuff out and you don't know where it goes. And, and the, whenever I hear from anybody that says, uh, it reached them and, uh, you know, uh, it connected, it just feels like all that struggle I talked about earlier. It feels like it, it was <laughs> worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. Um, so speaking of, uh, I just got one more for you here, man. You've been generous with your time. Uh, um, so speaking of albums, um, I, I saw on your website, you mentioned that you just did a full length, but uh, um, you've just completed a full length. But you also mentioned like an EP, Sunrise at the Sunset Motel. It, 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 can you talk about any of that? Or, or I mean, if you don't, if you don't want to talk about any of that. I can fine. talk a little bit about it. Uh, so the, 
Sunrise at the Sunset Motel is a song that's going to be on the full length. Um, the the, the oh, okay. EP will be something okay. different, but basically, I um, uh, began work on an. Well, we began work on recording like as COVID started letting up, and um, originally I thought like let's just make an EP, let's just make something and get it out, and we started working on it, and I just immediately like my brain starts going into making connections i was like no 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 no. i've got this other song and this song and 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 this is a full-length album forget ep this is a full-length album and right, right. and i and and also like collaborating um so the the folks that i work with is my so i still work with my brother jesse remnant yep. who played in southeast engine um plays bass um sings great harmony vocals he's such an incredible musician like he's sort of like my paul mccartney you know he's just he just right. has that sort of mccartney-esque he's very melodic he's very um uh just very musically inclined more so than me um right and um and then uh ryan stolte sawa she she's been playing with me since you know basically when i put out when i was a boy i, I put together this band to play that material um, okay. and then they also like learn the sourwood material. They're on parts of sourwood. Um, like Ryan plays all the violin on sourwood. Um, and they, uh, my brother and Ryan do some harmony vocals. Um, and John who plays drums, uh, but Ryan is like this genius musician who can play violin and keys and guitar and, um, just, uh, Swiss Army knife. Yeah, just uh, you know, I was just like talking to my wife and about Ryan, and she was like, "What's Ryan's first instrument?" I was like, "You know what? I don't know." <laughs> I was like, because she's just so good at all of them. Like, she could tell me yeah. any one of those is her first instrument, and I would believe her. You know, um, right? And then John, um, the drummer, he's kind of become sort of my um, co-producer in the project um we've been mostly recording at his place um and they all the, uh, they all live in columbus ohio so okay. i've been going to columbus to record and then although my brother just recently moved back to dayton but um so uh john has become like my producer co-producer in this project and sort of you know thinks larger and conceptually about what we're trying to make also um, right. and so that EP, we get to talking about what songs we've kind of got in the mix and, and kind of thinking conceptually about how it could be a record. Um, right. so anyways, I'm giving you a long answer, but basically that EP turned into a full length album, but then there was actually so many songs, so many ideas that there's extra material, um, <clears throat> that doesn't fit on a full length album that we are kind of taking some of that extra material and writing some more stuff and shaping that into a separate EP. And so I think our plan is that we finish this full length album, get it into manufacturing, which vinyl now takes yeah. months and months and months, a minimum of six months to potentially as long as a year or even I've heard even numbers like two years, which is wild. Wow. But yeah. Hopefully it, it's not going to be something that long, but so our thought is finish the album get it into production manufacturing systems. And while we're waiting, um, finish this EP and just like put it out online, probably no physical 
but just like make something and put it out just to kind of like, because I haven't released music since Sourwood, just like get, yeah, get yeah. something out, get things into motion, um, sort of prime the pump, sort of speak before we drop a full length album, if that makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really um, looking, looking forward yeah. to it. Uh, um, do you still, um, are you still in contact with, uh, like, I like William uh, Matheny's work too. Does he, do you still do anything with him or? I love William. I love, I, I love, I've, I basically love everybody that I've made music with because it, it, it's just such a deep experience to do with people, I think. But um, um, yeah, William is just, um, he played in Southeast Engine for like a lot of those heavy touring years. Um, he's he's yeah. only on our last album, Canary, and an EP we did called Canaanville. But and um, but uh, William is uh, who I know is Bill. I just call him Bill. But uh, right, he's an right. incredible uh, musician um, and always was a great. So I've known I've known him since I was like 19, 20 years old. Uh, he's from Morgantown, right. West Virginia. Okay. And it was like one of those first connections I made with a musician outside of, you know, like my hometowns of Dayton and Athens. And um, like the first like musician I traded shows with, you know? And so then when he joined Southeast engine, it was like such a, it was just so sweet to get to like do that with him. And, and then I watched him, like he was always a good songwriter, but then when we were doing Southeast engine, he like developed like, he would show me these songs he was working on and that became his first, those songs became his first um, solo album, strange constellations. Um, And I just, I think he is a songwriter for the ages. I will like sing his praises to no end. And I just think he's brilliant and um, deserves every opportunity that comes his way. Cause I think he's, I think he writes classic songs like, yeah, nobody's, like yeah, nobody's like I, business, but yeah. yeah, I really loved that. I, I, I that me- album you just mentioned, I don't think I'm familiar with, but I did listen to uh, Moon Over Canova, yeah. I guess it's called. Yes. Um, and that, I remember listening to that Blood Moon singer, yeah. uh, song a lot. And uh, yeah, man, he's he's a, a talented dude for yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. All right, Adam, uh Thanks very much, man. Um, I thanks for all the thoughtful answers, and uh, thanks for spending some time with me. I I've dug your stuff for a long time, and um, uh, can't wait for the new record. So, thank you, Glenn. It was this was fun. It's I uh, I enjoy talking about music, and um, yeah, just appreciate it. So, thank you. Out of line, my twin sister This land eluded the glaciers Long ago these foothills were defended by the stars The constellations feared and knelt as You lose Orion's belt I know you never felt so strong in your life before So show me what you see Yes, seen her arms swinging down to protect you and me is defending 
by Whoops Fake Radio Show. This is Glenn. Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that episode, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have a story to share or a guest to recommend, you can reach out to us via the website, which is raisedbywhoops.com. 
We're glad to have you with us. Thanks and take care.